Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Hello, everybody. This is Dwayne Davidson. Hey, today we're going to be talking about another interesting episode on Tales from Tolt about the churches of the valley. Uh, churches, of course, were one of the first institutions, along with the schools, that were built in any community. Our communities were no different. We will uh, talk about churches primarily in Carnation and uh, Duval. And uh, uh, let's get started with Carnation. You know, they're the communities of Carnation and Duval were never so large they could really um, serve too many different churches. So there was primarily a Catholic church and then a Protestant church, or maybe a couple of Protestant churches in both. And um, we'll just talk about those, uh, starting off in Carnation. Uh, and then we will go later in the show to Duval, where joining me will be uh, my mom, who uh, Arlene uh, Davidson, who grew up in the Duval uh, Methodist Church. And she'll talk a little bit about uh, her uh, experiences doing that, which will be fun. So let's begin with Carnation. Uh, of course, there we have to talk about the first church in town, which was the Congregational Church. And the first church was actually across the road. Everybody knows where the Congregational Church is now. It's a beautiful stone building right on Main Street. A, a, a beautiful building, popular wedding venue and, and such. Uh, but that's not the original. The original church was across the street, right next to the elementary school. And uh, it was built in 19, or I'm sorry, 1898 uh, with lumber from uh, uh, Larson's Mill, one of the big mills in town at the time. Uh, church services actually started a few years prior to that meeting in just various places, but the church was built in 1898. And uh, after the church was built, uh, there's a little interesting history point that I'd like to make, that one of the pastors was uh, right at the turn of the century uh, in the, uh, 1900, was a lady by the name of uh, Rosie Edwards. Uh, very unusual uh, to have women pastors in that time before women's suffrage really uh, came into play. And uh, so um, she was kind of a remarkable lady to become a pastor at that time, very forward thinking uh, individual. And that is reflective in her, her, her personality, I think is best described that she preached sermon on Sunday, but to all those that maybe didn't come to town and listen to the sermon in the logging camps, she hiked up the trails to the logging camps midweek and delivered a service at the uh, uh, to those loggers and lumbermen in the woods, which was pretty bold of her to do. So I think that that was a real testament of a, a person that was uh, serving the community, if you will. A uh, remarkable lady. R read a little bit about her uh, history. Uh, and uh, she uh, was a very interesting person. Once again, her name was Rosie Edwards. Anyway, uh, after her uh, time at the Congregation Church, they went through a period of time uh, in the 
early 1900s for about a couple of decades where they actually had an agreement with the Duval uh, Methodist Church to share a pastor. So I guess it didn't stick to denominational differences too much in those days. Uh, either um, a church on its own was not able to uh, to support a full-time pastor. So they basically went in on one. And that, like I said, went on for a couple of decades at least. And then they built a, uh, they got to the size where they could um, support a pastor. They built a parsonage in like 1924. Parsonages still exist today, uh, residence for the pastor and his family. And uh, they called the minister and it's been that way ever since. But a big profound moment in that church's history was in just a few days after Christmas in 1936, the church caught fire and it was a total loss. And so the town was up without a Protestant church and the Stewart family built a memorial to uh, the uh, uh, a very prominent uh, person of the Stewart family, the mother of the founder, uh, uh, Nan Fullerton Stewart. I mean, I'm sorry, the wife to the founder, Nan Fullerton Stewart. They built a uh, church in memory of her and dedicated to the community. And that's a beautiful church with stained glass windows and everything that you see today. Um, I understand that it was at least rumored that that was patterned after some Anglican church uh, in the British Isles someplace. So I think that that was confirmed to me by the folks out at uh, Carnation Farms, but I don't have the details of that right now. Um, other churches that were prominent in the uh, Carnation area uh, was, um, there was a Seventh-day Adventist church for quite some time. Um, they were located near the railroad tracks to turn right at the, the elementary school past the congregational parsonage. And um, they were a smaller congregation, didn't exist for a real long period of time uh, when they consolidated um, with other Seventh-day Adventist churches and built a large church out just outside of Falls City. And I think that's called the Spring Glen neighborhood and uh, uh, consolidated their efforts there, which was successful. Interestingly enough, uh, that church building was sold later to, uh, uh, it's, a, it's basically a residence today, but it did go through a period of time that it was briefly owned by the Sportsman uh, Club. Uh, the Sportsman Club was a group of fishermen uh, and other sportsmen that got to, uh, hunters and fishermen, or primarily fishermen, that, um, uh, uh, kind of just had a fun club in the Carnation area, would have a derby, had a big steelhead feed uh, that they did for a fundraiser at the Grange Hall every year. And they bought that for their meeting place, but it didn't really serve its purposes uh, really that well. It wasn't really big enough uh, of a building. And if I remember uh, my family telling the history of this right, they sold that building and used some of the proceeds to buy a public access uh, for fishing that uh, got dedicated to, I believe it was a county or whatever, to provide uh, public access to the Tolt River, several miles up the Tolt River Road, which exists even today. So a little bit of history at, of the 
Carnation Seventh-day Adventist Church. Another church that was prominent in the um, Carnation area was the Pentecostal Church. Pentecost Pentecostal churches were um, very numerous in the Pacific Northwest. Interestingly enough, a little bit of history is they uh, evidently were successful in getting many converts from the Native American tribes. And you'll see that all around the Pacific Northwest. Incarnation was no exception to that, that Native Americans would join the Pentecostal churches. Um, the Pentecostal church was right by the Brown Bag restaurant, which both don't exist. Uh, the church building and the Brown Bag have uh, both uh, are both gone now. It's the area that's just across the street from the present day service station and the gas station in Carnation. Um, early wine family was a very uh, prominent family of that Pentecostal church. Uh, he was a pastor there for quite a long time and they were still holding church services there when I was a youth uh, incarnation. But like I said, it doesn't exist anymore. And then of course there is the other big church in town, uh, uh, all relative uh, to the population uh, when I say big, and that's the Catholic Church, St. Anthony Church, another beautiful building in Carnation. St. Anthony's uh, history is that uh, they started off as a mission church for a church in uh, Monroe, and um, they stayed that until 1929 when Our Lady of Sorrows was founded in Snoqualmie, and that became the host church, if you will, of uh, the mission church, St. Anthony's. And so they were the ones that provided them a priest and that relationship went on even uh, when, when uh, um, even in my childhood, I remember my Catholic friends would uh, go down to catechism there. They, in the early 1960s, they built some portable buildings or had some portable buildings moved in right next to the church that are still there to, the, to this day. And um, catechism classes were held outside uh, in those. And I remember waiting outside on that on Wednesdays for uh, my friends to come out so we could play. So uh, reading a little bit about the history of St. Anthony's Church, I thought it was interesting. It said that in uh, uh, 1938, Bishop O'Shaughnessy inspected the church and said that the floor was well oiled, but it needed a new wood stove. <laughs> I thought that was kind of uh, funny, interesting, but another beautiful building, been in several times for funerals, weddings and stuff. And it's a um, important part of Carnation's history. Moving down the valley, we come across in Novelty at the site of the Novelty store. There's a big roundabout there at Novelty Hill uh, today. There was a store there at one time and a Lutheran church. Most of the people that settled in that area were Lutheran uh, descent, and they in, uh, they were mostly Norwegian and uh, Lutheran as such, and they wanted a church of their native tongue and built a uh, little church up on a knoll right there by the um, by that present day roundabout. And that served as a church for folks, but it's a very small congregation and uh, they didn't last long. And it was consolidated uh, with the Lutheran churches, other, uh, other places. At that point, uh, at this point, I'd like to basically remind folks that, like I said, it was, these are smaller communities. And so many people of different faiths, like uh, um, 
people of the Jewish faith had to go out of town to attend synagogue, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons, uh, they would have to travel outside, uh, which is not the case anymore. They have, of course, their uh, buildings in the valley today, but back then they had to travel outside. If you uh, uh, couldn't bring yourself to attend the uh, the Protestant church that was um, in the community, you're basically traveling out of the community because it just wasn't uh, big enough. And so then that brings us to Duval. And we'll just briefly talk just uh, uh, about a couple of the churches were there. Of course, there was the Catholic church and that church has recently moved into a more, much more modern building uh, several years back uh, that overlooks the valley north of town. Uh, that was a very a big move because it's a church of uh, that's, that's been around from the beginning, but also the Duval uh, Methodist Church. And then there was uh, that we'll be talking about right after the break. And then there was the Dutch Reformed Church, which is more properly called the Christian Reformed Church that um, but it's, people call it Dutch Reformed because most of the members were Dutch. Um, they existed for a while. That building still exists today. Later became, I believe, it was uh, owned by the city. Uh, they had a small congregation of uh, uh, of uh, Dutch families that uh, that settled in the Duval area, uh, mostly the dairy farmers. And but they were not really able to uh, keep things going because of the size of their congregation. They consolidated with others and built a large. Uh, church in Monroe or expanded that one, uh, which was a very successful move for them. And in fact, they even had a school, K through eight school uh, associated with that church that many of our uh, friends would go to until they hit high school age and then they would come to Tolt. So there are several members that, that uh, uh, of um, my uh, uh, high school classes that, uh, that actually got their start at the uh, Monroe Christian Reform uh, School. So that's a little rundown of some of the churches that existed. Of course, their number of churches are much greater today, but that was it in days gone by and how they got started. Um, we'll take a break just for a moment. And when we come back, we'll be talking about a uh, church that is very prominent in the uh, Duval area, and that's a Duval Methods Church with my mom. So we'll be right back, folks. Thanks. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Valley Talk and Info. Join us for our weekly paranormal radio show, Northwest Phenomenon, each Sundays at 7 p.m. Have a story you'd like to share? Call our Northwest Phenom hotline 24 7 775 990 5151, or you can email me on my website onairmario.com all calls and emails are confidential listen on demand subscribe to our podcast itunes spotify stitcher google play search northwest phenomenon we'll see you sunday at 7 p.m right here on valley 104.9 
I'm Chris Heim, inviting you to join me in the Global Village for the best in music from all around the globe. We highlight new releases, rare and classic recordings, birthdays, holidays, and a host of features, specials, and unique concert performances, all drawing on styles and influences from many different corners of the world. Great sounds from all around the globe in the Global Village, Thursday nights from 7 till 9, here on Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest Eclectic Music. Welcome back, everybody. Joining me now is a very special guest. It happens to be about the special guest as I can get, and that's because it's my mom, uh, Arlene Davidson. Hi, hi, mom. Hi. <laughs> so, uh, um, before I introduce you any further, I just want to let everybody know that uh, that it's my mom's birthday coming up very shortly. And so, happy birthday, mom! Well, thank you. And uh, her name is Arlene Davidson, but her maiden name was Arlene Mitchell. And she's joining us in the second half of uh, the program, talking about Churches of the Valley, because she was very involved with the Duval Methodist Church as growing up as a, uh, as a kid. Their family went there. And um, your, uh, uh, your mom, Grandma Mitchell, was actually very involved in the church in an uh, important way. Do you want to elaborate on that for a moment, Mom? Uh, yes, she was. She thought it was very important that children grew up knowing the Bible stories. Um, so she acted as uh, superintendent of the Sunday school um, pretty much her whole life. And uh, she, when mom describes whole life, that's because after they relocated to Carnation, she was actually the Sunday school superintendent at the Carnation uh, Duval um, Congregation, or I mean, I'm sorry, Total Congregational Church also. So she was very involved in uh, Sunday schools in, in the Valley. And um, I also want to tell people that in a previous program, we touched a little bit on the Duval Methodist Church because we were talking about the Wainscott family with my Aunt Lorraine, uh, Wainscott, and, uh, and her sister. And they talked about some interesting things about the church. The Wainscotts were very involved in that also. And of course, as you heard that that's my aunt, the uh, um, mom and Aunt Lorraine, sister-in-laws. And so um, you were very uh, involved with different youth type groups and things like that. Can you tell us uh, some of the things that you did there at church when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, pretty much my whole youth was um, spent there. Um, in the early days, um, we went across the street um, to this uh, building. As I remember, it was one large building and there was... Um, partitions that uh, separated the different classes. And so we had to kind of speak softly because uh, we were all in one big room. Uh, and then by the time we got to um, junior high age, um, they had built a basement in the church. And so classes then were moved back to the church. And um, that's where we spent our time. 
And just for folks that may not know Duval's history uh, all that uh, uh, much, uh, this is now uh, currently the Timberlake Church, correct? Uh, is part of the right. Timberlake family. Uh, that's the church that we're referring to. And uh, just to give people just a little bit of history about this church, I'll just uh, briefly say that uh, going way back, this has started as the Duval Methodist Episcopal Church. And that was a very uh, big denomination of the Methodist Church. Uh, they had uh, a large church in Monroe, the Duval one. Uh, they also had a Fall City Methodist Church. They didn't have a Methodist Church incarnation. And then there was a large Methodist church up in Suquamish, right by the uh, right by the train tracks, by the train depot. Mm-hmm. So Methodist Methodism was very popular, and it was called the Methodist Episcopal Church, suggesting that they had bishops. They weren't Episcopalian in the sense, but they were they had bishops, and so that's where that part of their name come from. But the Duval Church left that denomination. Uh, when you were probably a, a, a teenager, it was 19, uh, I looked it up once, it maybe, oh, it was, I guess it was 1957, uh, they left the Methodist Episcopal Church, which had, which at that time had become or was going to become the, uh, the United Methodist Church, which we all know that they're very big denomination in the United States. Um, the United Methodist Church was or uh, is what was the, Methodist Episcopal Church, and then they called themselves, they belong, uh, they, they joined a smaller denomination called the Evangelical Methodist Church, and right. um, and that was, who was the pastor there then? Uh, Reverend Pitcher. And I will only take on a guess that theologically there was some kind of reason that the congregation felt that they, their, their beliefs uh, uh, were more akin to this new denomination or this other right. denomination, so they joined them. And my mom's um, a, a brother, Gary, Uncle Gary, actually became an ordained minister in the Evangelical Methodist Church, but he didn't serve at Duval. He served at the Grand Oregon and other places um, in that capacity. So that's and another, a little bit more about the history of the Duval Methodist Church um, is that it actually was first located down by the railroad tracks. And when there was only one railroad, that was fine. But when uh, the Milwaukee road came through and it was that area had to be shared by two railroads, the Great Northern and the Milwaukee road, there was a a lot of excavation work done and Hicks's store was moved, some other buildings and the church was actually moved to its present location. and you can see pictures of that, that it got to, it basically got moved all at that time. There was a parsonage, was there not, associated with the church where the pastor uh, lived? Yes. Yes. It was um, just up the hill um, for quite a while. And um, and then I don't remember what they did with the pastor, but they moved it um down the hill, even with the church, and used it as um, Sunday school classes. And um, it was that until just not too long ago when they built a new uh, Duval Library. I think most people know, but if you don't and you're listening to the program, providing a, a 
parsonage uh, for the pastor uh, and uh, his or her family was a very important part of church life and was very, very familiar with uh, communities all around the United States. And when the IRS basically took a unfavorable view of that and basically said that that was a fringe benefit that needed to be taxed, there was no longer really an advantage to providing free housing to the pastor. And, and also many pastors complained that they would go through their whole life without building equity in a home themselves. And so they yeah. liked that opportunity of having a little bit of freedom of being in their own building. So what was once provided as a perk and a fringe benefit later became not so advantaging. So churches all around abandoned their parsonages. So that's a little story behind that. Uh, I remember there's a big bell tower in the old church. Uh, did you ever get to ring the bell? <laughs> not me, but it rang every Sunday. At the beginning of services. For a beginning of Sunday school or beginning of services? Uh, it was it was beginning of church. Mm-hmm. And who got to ring the bell? <laughs> it was mainly the boys. Um, oh. And, and some of the, the men um, took that upon themselves to, to ring the bell. Mm-hmm. It was kind of an honor to do that. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was at the Toll Congregational Church uh, also. I do remember reading a little bit about the history of the Duval Church. I would imagine this went on when you were a youngster there, Mom. Uh, they, um, they were really well known for their uh, uh, involvement in youth and that they had a good choir and a lot of programs for the for the young folks. And they also um, would organize a field trip a couple different times. I think Billy Graham came uh, right. to Seattle area and they supported that in the way of, they basically took a bus in. They had so yes. many people flying up yes. and that was like a big event to the church. It was. Yeah. It was um, a Greyhound buses and uh, we filled them up. <laughs> so when you um when you got married and uh, and moved on did you ever keep uh, the pastor i'm taking a guess was past pastor pitcher that was the pastor that you remember the most is that not right yes and and he was officiated at my wedding oh and did yep. he and did he retire there at that church or did he move on yes no I, he retired there yeah yeah. So is there anything else you can think of for the for the listeners about uh, your reflections well, back on the Duval Church? Um, back in the, the late 40s, early 50s, uh, there wasn't many things for teenagers to do. And um, Alta Wainscott was the choir director. And there was about between, I don't know, 15 and 20 kids that um, made up the junior choir. We'd meet once a week to practice the song we'd sing. And um, we'd we'd sing at church um, quite regularly. Um, And that was was one function, you know, something to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So everybody had fun doing it. Um, 
and the only other churches was there was a Catholic church uh, up the hill some uh, yes. from the Duval Method Church. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier in the program, and then there also was the um, the Christian Reformed Church, which everybody locally called the Dutch Reform. I think mm-hmm. primarily because it was mostly Dutch families that went to it. And so if it wasn't that, it was all happening at the Duval Methodist Church, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) About the only other thing would be, you know, high school football games or basketball games. And uh, that that was 10 miles up the road and (laughs) you didn't always have a ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know you talked very fondly and, of course, uh, the the family was very involved in the Duval uh, the church, and I know you talked very favorably about that experience. And it was a uh, a strong congregation with some really uh, good families that went to it, and it was a uh, sounds like it was a very good yep. experience in your upbringing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and the women's group was very tight uh, too, and they always helped at uh, weddings and and funerals um so it was one big big happy family and they did more than just uh, that women's group if i remember in a previous conversation with uh, aunt lorraine and the wainscott program we talked about that some they were very involved in the community and did even some civic projects to really right. help uh the betterment of the the entire community so it was a very um positive um, a positive influence on the community. So that was good. It was. <laughs> well, mom, I sure do appreciate your time uh, with us today. Uh, once again, happy birthday. And thank you for uh, joining and sharing a little bit personally about uh, your, uh, about one of the, one of the famous old churches of the Sonoma Valley. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> okay, folks, until, uh, uh, hope you enjoyed the program and remember to tune in next week uh, when we continue to explore the history of the wonderful place we call the Sonoma Valley. Bye, folks. <laughs>